Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day, dads. It is, uh, yeah. I caught all the bad jokes early on. When did when did bad jokes become a dad thing? I don't I don't know. I'm like I I did not grow up in that world. Um, but man, good on them. I don't know how to tell a bad joke. I don't know how to tell a good one, but I don't know how to tell a bad one either. But here's the deal: it is it is good to celebrate dads. Four weeks ago, celebrating moms. Let's just be honest, man. It's tough work. Being a dad is no joke. Like, we're going to have some bacon, chili, dogs for breakfast, whatever. But being a dad, being a mom, leading a family, it is no joke hard. So we need days like this where we wear ugly shirts and tell bad jokes and laugh and enjoy and are reminded of the promises that God has for us. Because parenting, parenting is challenging. And it's not getting any easier. Tom kind of jumped ahead and read a few verses from our passage today, but whoa, this passage. I'm like, who picked this one for Father's Day? I did not outline this series. It really starts talking about, like, division. I thought, man, here we are. We live in a divided world, don't we? One headline called it a cold civil war. They weren't lying. It is true, man. We live in a divided world that makes leading in the home as a dad harder than ever. A couple of books that I've read over the years that have been so helpful in understanding what's happening. One's called The Big Sort, and it talks about how America is increasingly sorting ourselves along political lines. Red gets redder, blue gets bluer. So the map just looks redder, 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 bluer, bluer, bluer conflict ensues the other one great book written some years back it it described the growing isolation of our country it's called bowling alone some of you are bowlers i went by the way i went bowling with our family at uh, our daughter's graduation i dropped 150 dollars to bowl and we decided we didn't like bowling I'm like, how does bowling cost? This is why nobody bowls anymore. Crazy. They describe this effect that in America, like we've, over the last 50 years, we've just grown more and more isolated, right? Gone are the front porch and the rocking chair and waving to the neighbor. Say hello to the automatic garage door opener that allows you to get in and out without ever seeing anybody. Press it in, press it out. Man. And this was written before the onset of social media. 
the algorithm. That word has entered our lexicon. The algorithm is feeding you what it wants to feed you. Social media, feeding outrage, dividing, 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 dividing. Thank goodness we have church. Because, man, when you walk inside these buildings, it's like magic. You love everybody instantly. That was nervous laughter. You weren't sure that was funny or not. (laughs) Dang, it's hard. Like this whole thing is... And yet, somewhere in this story, this is what Paul and Jesus are saying. Let let me read it to you, verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. He says to him, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Here's what he's saying. Does belonging to Jesus, does following Jesus make any difference? In your life? Has it does it change you? He goes on to say this any comfort from his love, and then he's moving towards this idea of unity. Watch what he says. Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. There seemed to be an issue within the the, the church itself there at Philippi. Two two women, Eudius and and Syntychus, are, are having some division and the factions have lined up in the church. But, but Paul's speaking more broadly about this idea of how it is that we dwell together. But, but he's not introducing a new idea. Jesus had introduced this. Let me read you what Jesus said. In John 13, 35, he says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That would have the context of in the house, in the church, the the people of God. Your love, one for another, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. But he doesn't just leave it in the house. He moves out of the house. Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard the law says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say... Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives you, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. I love this. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. <laughs> Wasn't good to be a tax collector back then. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else and he finishes with this one even pagans do that like anybody can like people they like (laughs) jesus and paul saw the church 
the community of people as an oasis in a desert of division, that, that something in, in here, in this, would be, would be different. But it wasn't easy, and he didn't, he didn't assume it was easy. He, in fact, he, he's going to go on because he knows how, how we have to strive for it, how we have to set it as a goal and want to lean in and live for it. And, and so he, he's going to hear say a couple of things that I think are, are really useful. He's going he's gonna to first talk to us about this idea of resisting being at the center, and then he's going to talk what it looks like to replicate the grace of Jesus. But let me, for the verses Tom read, here's what it says, Philippians 2, 3, don't be, so this is, this is how, he says, like, you want to live this out, you want to be an oasis in a world that is divided. If you want to be an oasis, here's how you do it. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Ooh. Right up front, it says something that's just so, it's so simple. You just, you, you like, maybe you like me, ran, ran right by it. Don't try to impress others. Don't try to impress others. If, if you, if you uh, maybe you grew up, how many people grew up reading the King James Bible? Can I get some King James? Whoa, oh, man. Uh, so you may remember there's a word in the King James here. It's this awkward word. It says, it says let, me, let, me, let me read it to you from the King James. Let nothing be done through strife, but here's the word, or vain glory, vain glory. How often do you use that word in common day? I was struggling with vain glory the other day. Like nobody talks about vainglory. What even is vainglory? It's like this made-up word, vain, vainglory. And but but, but it's it's I, I bring it up because it's such an interesting portion of this story. It, there's actually the the word under here is a combination of of two Greek words to make one word, and it it means it, it's the two words mean glory and empty, glory and empty, and it, and it means empty of glory. In fact, John Tyson does something interesting, and I, and I think he's on to something. He connects this to Romans 3.23, uh, one of my, uh, an author that I enjoy reading. He, in Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and what? Fallen short of God's glory. There's, a, there's a, an emptiness of glory in our lives that we're trying to fill. And that's what this verse is going. It says, don't live your life for selfish reasons. Don't live your life. And other, but the real idea here is don't spend your life trying to fill up the empty glory that you're missing. There's, a, there's an emptiness. There's a glory that's missing that we've fallen short. And we spend our lives trying to fill ourselves up with enough glory that we can get through another day because we're empty of it. We've fallen short of it. And the only place we can actually find and fill it is in Jesus Christ. But he's saying, don't live for vain glory. Don't live to fill up the empty space in your life that is craving for glory. My goodness, how much stuff in our life is just trying to get a little bit of love. 
just a little bit. Social media is awesome for this, isn't it? Do you ever, do you ever post something and then just sit back and watch what people say? I know you wouldn't do that. Right? Awesome picture. Great story. Do you ever get disappointed when it didn't get enough likes? That's an awesome picture. I think I wrote that really well. Don't, don't say amen. Did you ever take something down because people didn't like it enough? Because you were like, oh, maybe I said something wrong. I'm not saying I've ever done that, but maybe. I, was that controversial and I didn't know it? Gosh, okay. Because, because we're, we're like, we're trying to fill up this emptiness inside of us with a little bit of goodness, a little bit of, of, of glory, and, and we're living for it, and it's exhausting, and, and, and you got to do more and more and more and more. Now, that's why, that's why stuff that, that there's stuff online that shouldn't be online. Because what used to get a reaction, what used to get a click, what used to get a look doesn't get a look. And the stuff online gets raunchier and raunchier and raunchier because that's the only way you get attention. It gets more extreme, more extreme, more extreme. I was watching a video yesterday. A guy posted a video of himself getting bit 50 times by a little snake. I'm like, who does that? And then I thought, who watches that? Me, that's who. I watched it. I looked, there were 85,000 views in like two days. And I was one of them, or two or three of them. I'm not sure how many times I watched it, but I'm like, what? It gets more and more and more because what was before isn't enough, and, and we're craving, craving, craving. I don't know how this happened. I got into like watching YouTube videos. I'm just this confession. I should not be confessant. I started watching YouTube videos of people cooking steak. It's amazing. But you can only watch so many Wagyu steaks grilled. I mean, it's like, and there was this one guy and he was like coming up with crazy stuff. And he would, you know, he was dry aging this and cooking this and putting this sauce. And he was running, I could tell he was running out of stuff to do when he dry aged alligator. And that was when I realized, Ben, what are you watching? You, you see, we're, 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 we're filling up and we've got to do more, got to do more, got to do more, got to do more. And what's, Here's, here's what happens. It's exhausting because we're trying to fill up a gap inside of us, an emptiness inside of us. But this is the context that Paul is writing. He's saying, listen, people are, are coming to the church because they're exhausted and they're exhausted because they're trying to fill up this empty space in their life. And let the church, let the people of God be the one place that's filled up by something that's unique and different. In fact, if you go back to verse 1, he says, so he says is there any encouragement that comes from belonging to Christ. Listen, you belong to Jesus Christ. 
You belong. You are completely and absolutely accepted and nothing can ever take that away. He doesn't remove likes. He doesn't add likes. He loves you. And he fills you up with everything you could possibly need. You are an oasis people. That's what he's saying. And he's not done. He says, be hum. He goes on in verse one. He says, is there any comfort from his love? You are the people who have experienced the love of God in such a profound, moving, life-changing way that it has forever filled you up and enabled you to give something to others. That's how he finishes in verse 4. He says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. He says, you, you belong. You've experienced his love and it's filled you up and it's changed. You are those people. And it's what is supposed to make this place so unique that the the, 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 the emptiness has been filled by the belonging and love of Jesus Christ that has so transformed us that we are no longer takers who divide the world, but we are givers who are overflowing in a sacrificial love that the world doesn't understand. But when they're exhausted and when they're hungry and when they're running on empty, they'll come looking. You ever, you ever like in the, you know, dead of winter? I don't want. To, I hate to talk about winter right now, but you know when it's like five degrees below, it's just frigid, and your car's on empty. You know what I'm talking about? And for the first time, you're like, "Where's that full service station?" You'll drive by five other places on your way. I, when raining now, I'm a, I'm I'm a confession. I'm I will drive I will drive an extra two or three miles worth of gas just to get to that full service station, when it's cold, when it's raining, when it's sunny. <laughs> I want to help keep that person employed. I feel like that's my God-given role in their life. Like I'm I want to I want to do that, right? People are looking for a sign that says full service. For people who, who are not in and of themselves powerful, interesting, or unique, but because they've met Jesus, they have found a belonging. They have found an unconditional love that has somehow changed their heart and turned them from a divider, turned them from a constant critic, turned them from judgmentalism and turned them into someone who is so filled up with God's grace that they have it to give over to someone else. That's what an oasis in the midst of a desert of division looks like. And I'm not saying we're all there. I'm saying that's what he's calling us to. And the fact that he's talking about it tells us that it's hard. And in fact, he, he wants to finish with something here. In verse 5, he, 
He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. By the way, I think Brittany started out a couple of weeks ago, opened the series up and talked about how Philippians is full of verses that we put on magnets and on, you know, on shirts and on the wall. Nobody ever put this verse on a wall right here. Nobody. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He didn't use the power at his fingertips to force your hand and my hand. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What does it look like to live like Jesus? Jesus, Jesus valued these close-up conversations. He, he dropped pretense and distance. He wasn't, he wasn't a distant bomb thrower. He, he dropped that pretense. He got up close where it could hurt and where he could build a relationship and have a conversation and let us know in the closest possible way, I love you and I'm not running away and I'm here. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a, a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus believed he could give a life to save a life. He was... This is the hardest part. This is why nobody puts this verse on your, your, your refrigerator because it's... It's a lot. He gave up his life. He, he, believed that, he believed that he could sacrifice and give himself up. And, and I, I know the, the divine implications of the Redeemer who gave his life, a spotless, sinless Redeemer who forgave the sins of all humanity. I get that implication, but Jesus was very clear. Take up your cross. Live out this way. I want you to live this kind of life. And, and listen, for the first 300 years of the church, this is what they did. The church, the church revolutionized the world. This, this little ragtag bunch of cowardly disciples somehow were transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and went out and started living out the way of Jesus in such a way that people started believing. And it wasn't because they told a good story. It wasn't because they had eloquent preachers. Tom Holland in his, not the actor, the, the historian, there's, there's, some of you don't know who Tom Holland the actor is, but I just want to clarify. The historian, who's not a Christian, he's a secular historian, he wrote a, a fascinating book called Dominion about how the, the, the growth and impact of the story of Jesus Christ in that early period of the world and, and how it changed the world. And it begins to detail how, uh, how the, the, the message and story of Christianity spread everywhere because Christians did the most unthinkable thing. They cared for sick people. When everybody else was running for the hills because the plague was spreading through town, Christians, they stayed. These little, these little underground 
outlaw bands of believers and someone named Jesus stuck around and at the risk of their own lives cared for people. And people were like, these They served, they served the poor, and nobody's that was a stratified society, and nobody, nobody served. You stayed in your lane, but these people didn't stay in their lane. They, they served the poor. And what, what is most notable, Holland goes on to mention, is that their willingness to die, their willingness to die for what they believed in in Jesus. If you're, if you're a historian, you may look and, and say, oh, and you know, in the fourth century, Constantine turns uh, Christianity into the world religion of the Roman Empire, and that's when it comes to force. No, 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 you're missing it. You're missing the story. Constantine was an opportunist. Christianity had so spread through the Roman Empire because of the willingness of people to follow the way of Jesus and sacrificing themselves that Constantine jumped on the bandwagon. The emperor jumped on the bandwagon because people gave themselves and gave everything of themselves and created in these little underground churches an oasis in the desert. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, does it work still? Because <laughs> I don't know. Here's how this passage finishes, verse 9. Paul says, therefore, God elevated him, that's Jesus, to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. Then he looks forward in verse 10. He says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He said, one day, one day, everyone will see. One day, everyone will know Jesus is just who he said he was. But until then, let them see it in us. Let them see. little bit of the way of Jesus in a people who took on themselves the same attitude as Jesus had, who gave himself for this world. Let me finish by saying this. If you're here and you're... <laughs> It's pretty interesting. I'm going to go read that book by that secular guy. That's a good start, but listen, I just want you to know something about Jesus. If you're here and you put Jesus on the sideline and you haven't, I just want you to know Jesus, Jesus came for you. He came to give you a life. Listen, you say, does he want me to change? Yes, but listen, he starts with changing our heart. He wins our heart through his sacrifice 
And 2,000 years ago, he proved it once and for all so that you and I could come to a moment in our lives where we decided to say yes to his gift of life once and for all. And if you've never done that, I want to give you the chance to do it before we go today. So would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The quiet of the moment where we do our best to sort of block out the distractions of people around us, the activities to come after and day in front of us. Maybe for just a moment, you would consider what it is that God is saying to you. Maybe you hear him knocking at the door of your heart. And you're ready to invite him in and say yes to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want to give you a chance to do that. There's there's no magic words. There's no pastor, no priest, no church, no parent, no friend that can do that for you. That decision is yours. But if you're ready, say yes to Jesus Christ, and I invite you right where you're seated to call out to him, to begin to pray quietly to yourself. He'll hear it. You could pray something like this. Dear God, you know me and everything about me. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose from the grave to give me the gift of life and life to the full. I invite you into my life. Help me now to live fully for you. I pray. Jesus' name.